Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 8. Let's do a sound check. (laughs) That's because I turned it off. You couldn't hear me because I turned it off, all right? I want to talk to you about hearing this morning, all right? Um, In the early service, as we were singing that song, uh, Be Thou My Vision, it's one of my favorite songs, uh, or favorite hymns that we sing, and uh, I've heard it in a number of different contexts. Uh, Kind of this morning, as we were singing in the early service, I just kind of closed my eyes and let the sound in the chapel of the congregation singing just kind of roll over us. Of course, in there, the ceiling is vaulted and it's got wood on it, and so it just kind of echoes a little bit. And uh, it reminded me of some of the cathedrals that I've been in, uh, in Turkey and in Israel, some of the churches that are there, that you know were built during the time when there was no sound amplification by electricity and electronics. And so they built those things so that sound just kind of echoed through. And I always enjoyed hearing those kind of things. As a matter of fact, when we were in Israel, uh, in a church that is right near uh, the place where Jesus was beaten by the Roman guards before they took him out to crucify him right next to the Via Dolorosa, we were uh, in this church and the people of our group decided it was a good time to sing. I don't know what it is about song people. They just think it's always a good time to sing. And so they started singing in there, and I'm not the singer of the bunch. And so I just sat there and listened as they filled, just about 20, 30 of us. I don't remember exactly how many there were, but they just filled that empty building with sound. When sound is good, it's great. But when sound is bad, it's hard to hang in there with it. I want to talk to you today not about the sound per se, but about Hearing. How is your hearing? How is your hearing? It's a good question. The reality is that each of us have our own different little things about hearing. Now, my son used to play, he's a real smart aleck, my son, and he used to play this joke on his mother from time to time. Not sure where he learned it, but he learned this joke. When she would talk about something, say something, for instance, like, did you hear about, he would say, I'm sorry. And she said, no, did you hear about, speak up, Uh, uh, what? And it was usually two or three of those exchanges in before Teresa realized that he was yanking her chain about that, you know, did you hear stuff. Um, It's probably a good point of reference for us because when it comes to our spiritual lives, the real question is, how well do you hear? When God speaks, do you get it? Probably our answer is, well, that depends on how he speaks. There's a passage that I quote from time to time. It's over in the book of Isaiah, where he talks about, the prophet does, talks about God in those days when his spirit is poured out on man. The Holy Spirit doesn't say that. He says, your teacher, uh, referring to the Holy Spirit, I believe, he says, will whisper over your shoulder into your ear, this is the way, walk in it. Turn here, go there is the picture that we have. The small, still whisper of God. Do you hear that? In your life on a regular basis, one of the continuing uh, themes that I've heard throughout my ministry is from people, many of them good, strong church members, love the Lord, but somehow they never learned how to listen to the voice of God. 
As we come to this passage today, we come to a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. It's a turning point in Luke's gospel. He's going to begin to move us definitively out of the early phase where we've been. Jesus now begins to make a shift in the way he handles people. What we found in Luke's gospel up through the first part of chapter 8 is Jesus gets out there among the people. He's teaching. He's healing. He's exercising demons. He's even raising people from the dead as we find uh, in some of the passages we've been preaching through the last few weeks. And the result of that is this press of people. He is effective at reaching out into the crowds and getting people to come to follow him. And as we come to this passage in Luke chapter 8, we find a turning point. The crowds are commonplace, but now the tone changes and Jesus begins to raise the bar. And it's not just about people following him. He's beginning to expect something else from them. And we get to one of his methods now. Because the, one of the ways that we know that he turns that around is he starts using parables. And we're going to look at one of the most famous of all parables today in Luke chapter 8. Uh, it's, well, now see, we get into problems here about how we refer to this. Some people call it, as my Bible does in the subheadings, the parable of the sower. But you might find it listed in yours as the parable of the soils. Or maybe even the parable of the seeds. And so the fact that we call it different things like that might be an indicator that we don't really fully understand exactly what the point of it is. And so Jesus now is going to give us this parable. He's going to interpret it for his disciples. We may or may not get into some of all of that uh, as far as reading all of that today. Because most of us know it. It's a well-known parable where Jesus talks about the guy who goes out and he's throwing seeds and some goes on the path and some goes into thorny ground and some goes into rocky ground and some of it goes into ground that's ready to be harvest or to, to be plowed under and a harvest comes from it and all of that. That's the picture of the parable. Most of us know that. It's well known, but it might not be well heard. We're talking about hearing this morning. So let's look at this. And before we took a look at the parable itself... I think we have to come because of this turning point in the way Luke is doing this and the change that it represents in Jesus' ministry. We need to ask ourselves, why the parables in the first place? One of the things you've got to get here, we have to pause long enough to get this, is Jesus is a master teacher. How many of them? I did this in the early service. Let's see what we have in here. Okay, this is one of those times I really do want you to respond. Just raise your hand, if you will. If you are a teacher of any kind, homeschool teacher, public school teacher, private school teacher, Sunday school teacher, whatever, if you're a teacher of any kind as a profession, uh, raise your hand. Let me see what kind of educators we have here, okay? Now, our church is full of educators, uh, and that was true in the early service. It's true in here. Um, Here's a good thing for you as educators a wonderful personal growth kind of Bible study to do is examine the way Jesus teaches. He is a master teacher. And if you'll take a little time in your own personal devotional life to just kind of start digging in there and watch not just what he says. What he says is revolutionary for his time. 
Uh, we would expect that. He's the Son of God, after all. But the way he gets his message across is very instrumental uh, and educational for us, especially as teachers. And so we come to this point, and Jesus now begins to use parables in the way he teaches. Up to this point, we saw in the synagogue in Nazareth, for, in, for instance, when he went there, they un, he unrolled the scroll, and he read through what Isaiah had to say there, and he said, this day, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And it was more along the lines of what they did in those days. Well, this parable use is still that way, but now he's beginning to take them to a different place and for a different reason. All right? So let's look at this together as we come into it. We're going to read a verse here in just a second. Um, but before we do that, let's, let's, have you ever... Um, have you ever been confronted with something, whether you heard it or you saw it, and it registered that there was something there, but you didn't quite understand, you didn't quite get it as to what it was? You know what I'm talking about with that? We used to have a dog. Um, this dog was a pooman. Have you ever heard of that kind of dog? It's half poodle and half human. Her name was Misha, and really, Misha is Russian for Misha. <laughs> that was her name, okay? Um, and Misha was probably one of the smartest dogs we've ever had, maybe the smartest we've ever had. But as she started getting older, um, she started going deaf, and then she started going blind, uh, which you know, depending on how you view dogs, made for an interesting educational and even entertaining deal to just watch her move around the house when she started going blind and deaf and all. But in this particular case, one of the things that we used to do, I told you our kids, you know, uh, well, my son was kind of a smart aleck, and I'm not sure where he learned that, whether it's from his mom or his dad. Uh, well, it couldn't be his dad. Um, we used to uh, pick on that dog a little bit. And the way we'd do that is I'd cover, okay, so it was me. I'd cover my mouth and I would start barking, all right? Now, I would show you that, but you wouldn't listen to anything else I said for the rest of the day. So I'm not going to do that. I would just cover my mouth like this and I would start barking. Now, Misha would hear that and she would get into the center of the room and she would look up at the walls and she would just watch the walls. Didn't matter anything else around. She could hear it, but she couldn't identify where the sound was coming from, and so she would just search the walls and the ceilings for the voice. I've known a lot of Christians like that. You know what I mean by that? We, you know, we, we know it's, somehow God's voice has to be here somewhere. I, it's like I kind of sense that something's going on, but we kind of gaze off into nothingness trying to figure it out. The next level of that is what we find with other dogs, and Teresa's dog does this even now, and that's the little dog that she has. Um, when Lauren's home, sometimes she'll make noises, and Teresa's little dog will do the typical dog thing when they hear it, but they don't get it. The dog goes... You have dogs that's done that? What they're saying to you is, I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't quite understand what is coming at me here. If you don't do dogs, but you do cattle, it's the proverbial calf looking at a new gate. They just stand and they stare at it, and then they kind of and they back up a little bit and they look and they know something's up, but they just don't quite get it. 
Spiritual truth often leaves us in that situation. Whether it's the dog looking out into nothingness trying to figure out what they're hearing or the one that hears it and knows where it's coming from but just doesn't quite get it. Uh, Spiritual truth has a way of throwing our equilibrium off a little bit because we don't always get it. That's the case in verse 9. Look at this verse with me. In verse 9 it says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant. So let me stop for a second. I know that I'm stopping in the middle of a sentence there. But let's make sure we get this. What Jesus has done in the first, uh, actually verses 4 through 8, he's told this story. The parable of the soils is the way I'm going to refer to it because I think that's what he means. Okay, But Jesus tells this parable... All right, a little bit of Sunday school answer time. What is the good Sunday school definition for a parable? It is an, anybody know? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? That's the way we typically and historically have said this is how we approach parables. So when we come to the parables, we know that Jesus is using this real life, down on the floor illustration of some kind of a truth. And the Onus is on us in order to figure out, okay, what's the heavenly meaning in that? What's the truth that he's trying to communicate? So Jesus gives the parable in verses 4 through 8, and the disciples immediately turn and they make the point of the entire passage for him. When they ask him, what do you mean by that? I find myself identifying with these disciples a lot. Especially on this kind of stuff. Because sometimes God trots stuff in front of me and it's there to see, but I just don't get it. And so I often go back to God and go, I, I don't get it. What do, you, what do you mean by that? What am I supposed to take from that? That's verse 9. Jesus gives the parable. The disciples don't get it. And so he takes them another step. So what is the point of this parable? Look at verse 10, and let's see what he says here. After they ask, what does it mean? He says, that is, Jesus says. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to what Jesus says here. Because there's a little bit of offensiveness in it, if you look closely. Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Everybody with me on that? He says to his disciples... You can know this. It's given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, those secrets, those truths are in parables. And here's the part that might be offensive. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Does that bother you? That Jesus talked like, I mean, just a little bit? Does it bother you that Jesus would say, I have these secrets to tell, and for you who are my disciples, I'm going to tell you, but for those other people, there's some people there that they just can't get this. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not hear. To me, that sounds a little bit like God doesn't want some people to get it when it comes to spiritual truth. Now see, that's offensive to me. Because I'm one of those guys who needs to know. I need to know. You know those kind of people that just need to know? You have a telephone conversation and somebody says to you, who is that? How do you answer that? None ya. Tell them, it was the president. 
He's wondering what happened to you. You know people that? They just need to know. I'm like that about some stuff. Especially when it comes to stuff where it sounds like God is saying, uh, you can't know this. That just doesn't seem right to me on some level. In my margin of my study Bible that I use just for my own personal devotional life, I should tell you that when I come to do these series like this, uh, one of the things that I do before, long before I ever get to the preaching part is I just study through it and I take notes in the margin and that kind of stuff. I just do it for my own personal devotional growth. And then I can come back behind that and, you know, rework stuff for preaching purposes. But uh, so when I was working through the Gospel of Luke and I got to this point, uh, I, I wrote in the margin of my notes that this, does God really not want some people to get truth? That seems awfully um, secretive. There is one little word in this that unlocks the entire passage. Now, I want to reiterate, I think in the past, we've taken this parable, and then Jesus gives the interpretation of it in the next verses that follow. But I think that we may have missed that one really intended heavenly meaning that Jesus gives with this earthly story. And it's all locked up, and all that uh, stuff I was just talking about, and my unease with that is answered with this one little word that we find in verse 10. So I want us to look at that. It's a three-letter Greek word, and that is, um, you see that uh, underneath where it's in cursive, one little word unlocks the passage, and then after that, it looks like uh, Kristen got a typo in there, okay? But it's not. That's the Greek word. Not that the Greek word matters. I just wanted you to see how insignificant the word looks, okay? It's the word hina. It, it, it's insignificant. It's only three letters long. What does it mean by that? But the whole thing in this passage turns on how we understand that one little word. Because that one little word is what we call, I don't really want to go all grammatical on you here, uh, but let me do this real quickly so that you can see how it fits. It is a conjunction. It ties ideas in the sentence back to the main idea. Okay? And so the main idea here is that Jesus says, I teach in parables. And so this word then jumps in there, and it's either going to tell us the reason that he teaches in parables, that's the purpose statement, or simply the result. I teach in parables, and the result of that is that people don't get it. Which is it? Well, let's look at the passage and let's see what we can find out, because I think there's a great answer in this. And by the way, various translations say it different way. Either it's translated as that, or so that, or in order that. But the idea here is that it can say one of two things. Let me put it down on the bottom shelf. This week is voting week. You know that, right? Okay? If you haven't already done that, I encourage you to go vote. If you don't know everything there is to know about all those candidates, you have a little time to research that. Uh, If you still don't know them, uh, then you can still vote for the ones that you do know about, okay? But you need to vote. Why do you need to vote? Well, the best answer is, I need to vote so that, that's henna, I need to vote so that I can have a voice in my government. Now, am I voting with the purpose of having a voice? Or am I voting... And the result is I have a vote, a voice. And the answer is yes. 
both. Let's look at this passage and let's see how this impacts what we're talking about here. Jesus uses parables according to what he's saying in verse 10. Let me say it again. Verse 10 reads this way. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that, that's the word we're talking about, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Either Jesus is saying that in order, I do parables in order to hide the truth from them or I do parables and the result of that is that it's hidden from them. Now, which is it? Well, does it matter? Some of you I know are out there going, really? I came to church for an English lesson. Really? Really. <laughs> sort of. Let me show you why it's important here. Okay? Sometimes in Bible study, it's the little stuff that unlocks big ideas. Speaking of hearing spiritual truth. Clearly... There is a purpose element to this. The very thing that bothers me, you have to see, is part of what Jesus intends. One of the reasons that he teaches in parables is to make sure that some people don't get it. Well, does that fit God as you know him? Does that fit God as you want him to be? Now we come back to what I was saying a minute ago. Let me pull the whole context together and show you why this fits. These people now are following Jesus. He has done an incredible job in reaching people. For four or five chapters now, we've been watching him as he goes out and he gets the word out and people come to him. You remember as we were talking last week, Jairus comes and his daughter's there. I mean, his daughter's dying and so Jesus is going to that, but the people are just flocked around him. It's so much so that one lady thinks, I can just sneak up behind him and touch his garment. Uh, There's so many people, he'll never know it was me. That's the picture we find of Jesus wherever he goes, all these people following him around. He has done an incredible job in reaching to the masses. Verse 3 helps us. Look look at verses 1 through 3 and just to get an indicator of just how effective he has been with this. Verse 1 says, Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Okay, we get that. But look at verse 2. And also... Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, before I read the names of these women, let me give you a great truth about Jesus. One of the things Jesus did in practice and over the long haul of human history is Jesus shattered the curse of sin that separated men and women. We find over in the book of Galatians that it says because of what Jesus Christ did in the whole context there, Paul says there is now then neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And Jesus by his person, by his practice in his ministry, and ultimately by the results of the cross and the resurrection took us back to God's ideal. And one of the ways we see that is the way he lived his life out in first century Jewish life. We expect there to be these men who are disciples who are following him. That's the kind of society it was. But chapter 1, verse 2 and following gives us the names of some women who were part of that inner circle who followed Jesus Christ. Something of an anomaly for that time. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And listen to this one. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, 
who was Herod's household manager. That's a person, the wife of a guy, who was Herod's number two guy. That's power position if there ever was one. And Jesus has been so effective in reaching out into the multitudes that even from the highest levels of power, people are starting to follow him. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. What we find in those first few verses is the statement that says Jesus was reaching and he was breaking down all barriers in the process of doing that. He's good at this. I mean, everybody loves a show. No wonder they're coming to him. After all, he's feeding them and he's healing them from diseases, even raising people from the dead. Who wouldn't want to go see that? But you see, there's where the division point comes and why we see this switch now that begins to happen in Luke's gospel. Jesus will not be swept up in the euphoria of the crowds. We need to hear that. A couple of weeks ago, our country, I guess I shouldn't say it that way, some people in our country, celebrated the 50th anniversary of the arrival of the Beatles on American soil. Now, some of you are old enough to remember when that happened, okay? That same group of people is probably old enough to remember when a preacher would get fired for mentioning the Beatles in church, okay? Times have changed. Fifty years ago, this group of people came, and as we were watching that 50th anniversary celebration thing, uh, I was reminded of the euphoria of the girls that were Beatle fans. I mean, screaming and passing out and all that kind of stuff. Couldn't even hear the music. I heard one interview with Paul McCartney said that a lot of times in their stadium concerts, they couldn't even hear themselves play because of the screaming of the girls that were out there. That kind of euphoria and that kind of push of people, uh, we kind of have sort of seen something like that in our picture of Jesus historically. Jesus has a lot of fans, in other words. One of the things that we find here as this turn begins to happen is Jesus is not after the crowds. He's not after fans. Jesus now is going to turn his whole intent and he's going to say to his disciples, there is a higher standard for you. I don't want you following me if all you want is the show. We should stop there and wear that for a little bit because churches all across America today are filled with people who are looking for Jesus to put on a show. He just doesn't get locked up in that. Jesus understands something about the nature of being one of his followers. There is a difference between being a follower of Christ and being a disciple of Christ. He's not into, nor will he endorse, what I call easy believism. That's that thing that says, sure, everybody can come. Y'all, come on, let's all join together and we'll go have a worship service at church and we'll wave our hands and we'll do somersaults down the aisle and we'll jump chairs and it'll be a great day at church. But we'll walk out as if Jesus was just the star attraction at church. And Jesus won't have that. He won't allow that. And so at this critical moment in his ministry, he begins to draw lines And it's with that that he begins to use parables. And the reason he uses parables is because some people get it. And when they hear those things, as they come at them, they go, man, there's truth in that. 
Other people, when they hear it, they go, that's a great story. He's laying the standard down for his disciples, and they prove his point. They don't get it. So there's some purpose in this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to start weeding out the fans from the disciples. And the fans won't get it. The disciples will get it. And part of the result of that we find is we just continue to work through. Jesus now is going actually back to verse 10. He's referring back to Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 through 10. A thoroughly prophetic kind of word where God says through or to Isaiah there as you go tell the people. Some of them are just, they're going to hear it, but they're not going to hear it. You ever have one of those people in your life that you could tell them and tell them and tell them, but they never seem to listen to you? Now, we had that with at least one of our children. My son was a video game playing phenomenon. Okay? That's another way of saying he wasted a lot of time in front of the TV playing video games. Right? And I can remember more times than one his mom saying, Brandon, get up and go do whatever. And his response was, okay, mom. And she'd come back through the the room later. Brandon, okay, mom. Now, sooner or later, uh, Brandon was fixing to lose his life over this little scenario, right? He would hear it, but he wouldn't hear it. You know what I'm talking about with that? That's the picture that Jesus gives in this passage to his disciples. Some people will get it. Some people will just keep hearing it, but they don't hear it. And so, verses 9 and 10 just kind of underscore that. Some people get it, some people don't get it. Which brings us to you today. Do you get spiritual truth? I mean, get it. Not, not just hear it. Do you get it? As opposed to that easy believism that Jesus is talking about here, or referring to, or, or pointing to, He gives his disciples an incredible responsibility to handle the truth that he gives them. So we look at this parable. We see some people call it the parable of the sower. Well, if that's it, then the whole thing is just about Jesus and him giving God's truth. He does that, but is that what he's talking about here? No. Some people call it the parable of the seeds. And if that, that's it, then it's about the Word and the fact that it has, goes all over the place and bears fruit. And that's true, but that's not what this is about. This is about the soils. And so we find in this, let me read, uh, this is not on the slide, Spencer, just for the record. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the Word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. As to what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Jesus has just given several different examples of people who hear, but don't hear. The ones who get it. Verse 10, or 15 says, as for that, in the good soil, they, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the parable of the soils. 
It is about hearing God. You want further proof of that? Look at verse 18. He says, take care then how you hear. It's a significant thing in the Greek language because that word take care is a word that really means see. It's the normal word for see. Jesus literally says, see how you hear, which causes people like me to go, what? what are you, that, that's mixing senses. But the best way for us to take it is he's saying to us, pay attention to how you hear. So how do you hear? Let me bring it right down to the bottom shelf and close this off today. When I was a kid, uh, my dad, uh, he just, he carried himself in such a way that I fully believed that he wouldn't mind killing me if he needed to. You understand what I mean by that? I mean, he, he carried authority about himself and he let us know in no uncertain terms, if I tell you to do something, you better hop to it. So we did. And one of the rules in our house was my dad would let us, we lived in Houston at the time, we could play all over the neighborhood, okay? I'm not sure I would let my kids do that in Houston these days, but we did. And we had this basic rule. Dad said, if I step out when it's time for you guys to come home, I'm going to whistle. It's one of those put your finger in your mouth kind of whistles, you know? I never learned how to do that, but I could hear his whistle all over the neighborhood. And when he whistled... I had about two breaths worth of his life to get home, okay? It wasn't, okay, well, let me finish what I'm doing and get home. When I heard the whistle, it was time to go home. Two things are tied to that. One of them is that I had to obey when I heard it. That's the same with God, right? To be in a position to get God's word and Hear it means part of the whole definition of this message today is we have to be willing to obey what we hear. Okay? The other part of that thing with my dad is I knew well enough to know that if I, there was no excuse for me to say, I didn't hear you. That wasn't even on the, on the table as an option. So that meant that wherever I was when I was playing, I knew that I had to keep it within a distance where if my dad whistled, I could get home because I heard it. So that just leaves it in our laps this morning. Are you in a position to regularly hear the voice of God? What are you doing in your day-to-day life that helps you to be in position to hear when the Holy Spirit whispers over your shoulder, this is truth, do this. Sunday school class I was in this morning, we were talking about being agents of grace and agents of peace You know, the reality is, it's hard to be an agent of grace when you work with a bunch of knuckleheads like some of you do, right? It's hard to be an agent of peace when you're surrounded by people who just want to make war with one another. What we need is to be able to hear the voice of God until we position ourselves. What are you doing to position yourself day to day to hear God's truth? And what do you do with it? And the great reality is based on these parables. And you can go back and you can fill in the blanks with what the parable says. The great reality is is when we hear God's word and it takes root in our lives, it begins to produce fruit. 
May we be a church full of people who are positioned to hear God's voice. And then we have the fruit of that as everyday occurrence. Let's pray. So as we pray, here's the question again. Are you able to hear the voice of God? If you're not, I don't want you to get, feel like I'm beating up on you or anything like that today. Absolutely, that's not the case. If you're not in position to hear from God, then you need to get in position. If you don't know how to do that, this invitation time is for you. Come down. We'll talk about that. Are you doing things in your day-to-day life? Maybe in hearing this today, you know, man, you know, I should probably spend a little more time studying God's Word, a little more time in prayer, not the kind of prayer that's filled with me talking, but the kind that's filled with me listening. Are you in position to hear from God? And if you are, what are you doing with that? So, Father, take this time. Use it for your glory. Your lives be changed in Christ's name.